We began a new series a few weeks ago. The title is Running with the Giants, and the idea is this. Hebrews chapter 11 uh, features so many of the heroes of the Old Testament. Um, And it's almost like in Hebrews 11 and 12, it talks about us as being in a race and all of these Old Testament heroes as cheering us on. And each week, a different Old Testament hero runs up alongside us just for a week and gives us some encouragement of what they learned from their time here. What's funny is this morning, it just so happens to be the Chicago Marathon. And isn't that fascinating that none of us decided to run it? 45,000 people are getting ready to run the marathon right now. It's a tough race for most runners, but it's unlikely that anyone will face a bigger challenge than a man named E.J. Scott. E.J. Scott is running the race like everybody else, but unlike everybody else, he is running it and he's legally blind. We have a picture of him we'll put up on the screen. I couldn't run it with my sight and he's running it and he's legally blind. He inherited an eye disorder that caused him to lose his sight gradually. The disease first blurred uh, all of his peripheral vision, and then it rapidly uh, came into the center so that now uh, he is legally blind and he cannot bear direct sunlight. Therefore, he has to run the race blindfolded. He's running the Chicago Marathon blindfolded. Also, his goal this year is to run 12 marathons in 12 months, so this is his 10th marathon of the year. Why is he doing it? Well, he is soon going to be totally blind. He's legally blind now, and he lost most of his sight, but he will soon be totally blind, and he wants to raise money and awareness for the disease that he has. Several of his relatives have it. He just wants to get the word out to help change lives through him, uh, through his race. What makes him special is that he runs the race, but he runs it not by sight. In fact, the way he has to run this race is he has to keep his hand on an unseen guide every step of the way. And there you see an example for us. You see, we are running this race in this life by faith. And if we're going to cross the finish line, we need to keep our hand on the unseen guide, the Lord Jesus Christ. What would it be like if this guy tried to run even 10 steps without his hand on that guide? He wouldn't make it far. And likewise, what would our lives be like if we remove our hand or if we've never put our hand on that unseen guide, and yet we try and make it safely into eternity. Well, this morning as we look at the person of Enoch, he's the first person we're studying who isn't recorded as ever seeing God with his own eyes. Times had changed since the Garden of Eden, where the Lord himself pursued Adam and Eve and called out to them, Adam, where are you? And they enjoyed his presence by sight. Even Cain and Abel, we learned last week, though they were outside of the Garden of Eden, they could still approach God and they could see Him with, with their own eyes. They could bring an offering into His very presence. But then at some point, God withdrew His presence and man began to seek God primarily by faith and no longer primarily by sight. This happened in Enoch's day and therefore Enoch is a role model for every one of us living by faith. His story encourages us to run the race of, by faith and to cross the finish line. Hey, let's pray, and then we'll hear this amazing story of the person of Enoch. Father, we just, as we come into your presence, trust that you'll speak to us from this life that was lived so long ago. And Lord, while so many things were different in Genesis at the beginning of creation, we have so much in common. We have so much in common with 
those who followed you by faith long ago. So speak to us from their example and encourage us, Lord, in what we see in their lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Open your Bibles up to the book of Genesis, chapter 4. Genesis, chapter 4, verse 25. As I mentioned already, we looked at Cain and Abel last week. And uh, this week, we'll look at the person of Enoch. But first, we're going to set the scene by learning about what life was like in Enoch's day. So, Genesis 4, verse 25. There will be three lessons of faith that come from Enoch's life for each one of us this morning. But in chapter 4, verse 25, it begins by saying this. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son, called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. And at that time, get this, At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. So this is just before Enoch's birth, but we're seeing how life is shaping up for these folks. And imagine what it's like to be Adam and Eve. Imagine hearing about the loss of Abel and it's a bloody murder. And then imagine the heartbreak of hearing that their their other son, their first son, was banished from the presence of the Lord as a a restless wanderer. And, And then... And then Seth came into the world. And Seth gave them hope and encouragement. But not them only. Seth gives you and me hope and encouragement because it would be through the line of Seth that would come Enoch and then Noah and eventually the Lord Jesus. It would be through this righteous line that God would fulfill His promise to crush the head of evil by the seed of a woman. It's said that in this day people began to call upon the name of the Lord. What does that mean? Well, calling upon the name of the Lord, the expression throughout the book of Genesis, uh, used several other times, means worship the Lord through prayer and sacrifice. To approach Him through a religious service or perhaps at an altar. That's where they would call upon the name of the Lord. So it's used in a positive sense. It's also used in the Old Testament elsewhere for proclaiming His reputation, meaning uh, to call out the name of the Lord and, and to other people to declare his attributes or his reputation. And it's interesting that so soon in human history, we see humanity dividing itself into two and only two groups. Those who are calling upon the name of the Lord and those who are refusing to call upon the name of the Lord. This is what the New Testament would refer to as believers and unbelievers. From very early on, those who had to call upon the name of the Lord by faith, some would do it and some simply would not. We learn from Enoch's day that it was the call of faith that saved him. People weren't saved any other way throughout the Old Testament. It was always by faith. There's a time when people began to call upon the name of the Lord. The first lesson of faith that we learn from this is, you can jot this down in your bulletin, you must call upon the Lord to be saved. This is the starting point of faith for every human. There needs to come a point in time where you begin to call upon the name of the Lord where I begin to call upon the name of the Lord. And there was a point when Enoch began to call upon the name of the Lord. It says in Hebrews 11.6, we'll put it up on the screen. In fact, let's say Hebrews 11.6 together. Here we go. And without faith, it is... Okay, now hold on. Let's, Let's read that again. But when you get to the impossible word, say it with like double volume, okay? All right. And without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God 
must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Fascinating what we learn from this verse. It comes right after reference to Enoch in Hebrews chapter 11. So it is a truth that draws right out of his life. First, there ain't no hope of pleasing him uh, unless you draw near to him by faith. And just listen to that phrase, draw near. You learn something about your relationship to God from that phrase. You are born far from God. And it's only by faith that you could draw near to him. Just as in Enoch's day, they had to call upon the name of the Lord by faith to be saved, so in our day, we must by faith call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. And it's only then that we can draw near. It's only then that he will reward us for seeking him. It's our only hope. There were those in the early days of this uh, this, uh, race who would invite the Lord to be the rightful ruler of their life, and there are those who would reject the Lord as the rightful ruler of their life. There's only two groups. Uh, I read a, a touching story recently about a mayor uh, in the United States, particularly in the state of Alaska, who's one of the longest-serving mayors in the nation. Uh, this mayor's been serving for 15 years. He's held the top office in Talkeetna, Alaska. Back in 1998, the residents weren't happy with any of the human candidates, so they established a write-in vote, the write-in mayor vote. The candidate's name was Stubbs, and he's a cat. We've got a picture. This is a true story. Stubbs the cat was elected instead of the humans because the humans didn't like the candidates who were running. And the kitten won. And he's been mayor and reelected for 15 years. This is a true story. If you ask the local folk what they think of their mayor, his approval ratings have never been higher. Residents say he doesn't raise our taxes. He doesn't interfere with business. He's honest and he likes people. Some are wondering if it's time to launch his presidential campaign. I'm just saying. Hey, but get this. Like how, what would it be like to be one of those candidates? Hello, I, I'm going to be mayor because of this and this. And then, oh, hello, no, I'm going to be mayor because this and this. And they're like, let's take the kitten. Stubs the kitten instead of them. Like, I mean, what a slap in the face, right? <laughs> but, but listen, get this. With God, he is the rightful ruler of your life and of my life. And, and to reject him and to either put yourself in office as God of your own life or to put somebody else in God's place is far more insulting and incredulous than even electing a cat to be a mayor. Um, and here, from early on, there were those who called upon the Lord to be saved and God was the rightful ruler of their life and there were others who were rejecting the Lord and refusing to call upon him. Enoch called upon the name of the Lord and was identified as a man of faith. He was also somebody who called out to others, encouraging them to call upon the name of the Lord. These are two sides of the same coin. If I really believe judgment is coming and only Christ can save me, I can't look into your life and say, oh, well, you got your own little thing going on. I'm good with that. Uh, no, I'm heartbroken and, and lovingly longing to get the truth to you too and Well, Enoch is also described in the book of Jude, uh, verses 14 to 15. We'll put that up on the screen. Uh, Here's what it says. It says, It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, so he's telling this to his generation, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way. 
and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. What was Enoch talking about? He was talking about the flood that was coming in the days of Noah. God gave the people back then, get this, a 670-year warning. Enoch called out to the people, judgment is coming. God showed it to me somehow. Everyone will come before him in judgment. Get ready. He cried out with a broken heart for people around him because he knew that they needed to call upon the Lord to be saved by faith. We must call upon the Lord to be saved. Enoch modeled evangelism. He modeled salvation. And he modeled how we today can find the presence of the Lord. Think about this. First, Adam and Eve got to enjoy the sweet presence of the Lord in fellowship. Cain and Abel, they could come up to him, but not in paradise. And then Cain was banished. And and then God was kind of no more. He wasn't walking the earth as much. And so... How could we find His presence? Well, they began to call upon His name and worship and seek Him. And and it's by faith that we can enter the presence of the Lord as well. It's by faith that we can be saved. How is God found today? By anyone in your life. We believe that we have to follow in Enoch's footsteps and get the truth out to people in our life. Hey, how did you get saved? If you had to point to some people in your life who were courageous enough, who risked to invite you to church, to tell you the truth, to endure your questions, or how were you saved? Was it your parents? Uh, was it a, a ministry leader? Was it a friend? For me, I was a freshman in college, and we only went to church twice a year growing up, and then I met a buddy who I'd known forever, but we, were, uh, we started a heavy metal band together. I had long hair, like down to my belt long, like really long. And I was the drummer and he was the bass player and he invited me to church one day. He went to church every week. And I was like, you're such a nerd. You go to church every week? And that was the starting point for me. Showed up to this uh, small church in uh, Melrose Park and I had my hair down and a black leather trench coat on and a Metallica shirt with a flaming skull on the front and I just showed up. That's, that's who I was. And these people were so loving and they were so kind to me. And the pastor preached the Bible and met with me throughout the week. Um, and then it hit me. I am not saved. If I died tonight, I would not go to heaven. And it was then that I knelt down beside my bed and called upon the Lord and said, I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose again. And here and now, I ask that you would come into my life and forgive me for my sins. Um, and I've got people who I can point to who reached out to me. You've got those people as well. But here's the question. Are, are there people in heaven who are going to point to you and say, she reached out to me. She was praying for me. He brought it up. She didn't give up when I got all hostile. Uh, when I put up a fight. He just kept bringing it up. He was praying for me. Uh, who's on your list? Are there people who you are lovingly reaching out to and hoping that they will be saved? Man, Enoch knew judgment was coming and he reached out with the truth to his entire generation. It was the call of faith that saved him and all of us and all those in our lives must call upon the Lord to be saved. That's the first lesson of faith. There's a second one. Here's the second one. You can jot this down. 
You must walk with the Lord to be blessed. So not just call upon the Lord to be saved, but you must then walk with the Lord to be blessed. Now we read of Enoch specifically in chapter 5, verse 22. Chapter 5, verse 22, it says this, Enoch walked with God. I love that phrase. Enoch walked with God. After he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters, thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And then it says it a second time. Enoch walked. He walked with God. This is the walk of faith that God blesses. Um, The phrase could refer to a loyal servant who stands beside his master, or it could be a a herald who, who goes ahead of his master to prepare the way, and Enoch was both. And the word walk implies a close personal connection between you and God. It's all about a relationship. It's having that hand on the unseen guide who who will lead you through this life. There's a connection. The walk also implies forward movement, which is spiritual growth, and and that there's a destination that all of it is heading to. Your faith is leading you somewhere. And by faith, Enoch called upon God, and he walked with God, and he's therefore a role model for us. And hey, the Bible says that people lived to be really old back in this day. I mean, I believe that this is true. I don't think this is folklore. I don't think the Bible's just making stuff up. I think back then they did live to be Really, really old. Okay, hey, talk about health care. They lived to be 930 years old back then, and they didn't even have Blue Cross and Blue Shield, all right? I mean, it wouldn't have even been a campaigning topic. Health care? Who needs health care? We don't even have doctors, and I live to be 930 years old, right? We're taught in science class that we come from, like, more primitive creatures, and somehow we've become like, oh. Uh, but the Bible teaches that back then they had bodies that would put ours to shame, all right? I think they were smarter and tougher and wiser and probably a lot better looking. I'm just saying, all right? Just saying things have changed, okay? And it reveals God's original intentions for humanity. He didn't want us to break down. He didn't want us to die. He didn't want us to know cancer. He didn't want us to know all of these problems, right? Um, He didn't want us to know death. And get this, because they lived so long, Enoch knows what it means to be a follower of the Lord for 365 years. Man, sometimes I don't know if I'm going to make it through this, this year in good shape, right? Oh, man, it was a rough year. Sometimes maybe I could, you know, there's 10 years and it's like, oh, man, there were a few of those years where I didn't really have a great walk with the Lord. And, okay, Enoch may have been like, oh, yeah, man, there was like a 75-year period where I really struggled. But then I bounced back and the next 100 were great. I mean, he knows what it means to walk with God. Okay, and if he were here, he could tell you, okay, here, here's the first hundred. Here's what I learned. Here's the second hundred. Here's what I learned. And then the third hundred. And then, hey, what a role model for walking with God. Every day, step by step, a relationship, learning and growing and fellowshipping, and it didn't get old and he didn't fail. Sure, he was a sinner like all of us, but God accepted him. What does it mean today to walk with God? Well, let's talk about what it doesn't mean. Everybody say this is what it doesn't mean, right? This is what it doesn't mean. First thing that it doesn't mean to walk with God is merely acknowledging God's existence. Sure, I believe there's a God. The big man upstairs has got my back. He's had my back for a long time, okay? This is the guy who talks about the uh, higher power, the greater force, the... 
Simply acknowledging God's existence, great. You know, that puts you in the same category as the demons. Way to go. Because they just acknowledge God's existence too. They hate Him, but they know He's there. It's not enough to just say, I believe in God. All right, here's the next one. This is what it doesn't look like is just attending religious services. Yeah, I go to church. Uh, And if you check my attendance chart, there'd be a whole lot of stickers on that. Huh? Are you impressed? And never assume that because a person is a regular attender at a religious service that they actually have a personal walk with God. I mean, to all of our teenagers, our junior hires and our high schoolers, great. Hey, you're coming to church probably because you have to at this point. All right? Mama would be unhappy if you didn't come. When you go off to college, we really know if you were just attending religious services or if you have a hand on the unseen guide as well and you have a personal walk with the Lord. It's amazing to see so many Trinity students coming out here when their parents aren't looking over their shoulder. What are you doing? You're here. Attending religious services, that's not what it means. What else doesn't it mean? It does not mean learning biblical information. Hey, there have been people uh, who attended Awana and got all those verses stuffed into their head and guess what? Not walking with the Lord. There have been people who've gone off to seminary and had a professional degree. Not Christian. Some of the finest theologians came from Germany, all right, and they, they wrote in the 1900s and they wrote like the most fascinating theology textbooks, but none of them were Christians. They just had a whole lot of knowledge. Learning biblical information. Didn't Jesus say to the Pharisees, you study these books because by them, the Scriptures, you think you have eternal life, but you refuse to come to Me. Got the facts, don't have the relationship. Bible knowledge, it's not what it looks like. What else? It's not running to God when you need something. All right, this is a big one. This is a big one. Not much going on between me and God. Then my whole life falls apart. And I race into His presence. I, and what do I say when I get there? I need, I need. Give me, give me. I need. My, my, my job is in jeopardy. My, my family's falling apart. My child is breaking my heart. My, I'm here. Give me, give me, give me. And then what happens when God's like, hi, nice to see you. Um, no. Then what do you do? Fine. He didn't give me so I'm not staying. It's a conditional fellowship. I'll go to God if He gives me something. In other words, I'll go to God if He helps me continue to be God. But if He refuses to do that, I'm out. That's not walking with the Lord. That's not a saved person. By all means, race into the presence of the Lord in times of crisis and He will be found. But that's not walking with the Lord. The walk has to be in place, separate from the crisis. All right, so that's not what it looks like. Well, then the question is, what does it look like? What does it mean to actually walk with the Lord? Well, there's two feet to the walk, we say here at Harvest. And uh, there's the individual foot, which is your personal spiritual growth. So I'm reading my Bible, I'm praying, I'm memorizing Scripture, or perhaps I'm working on you know, going in-depth on a book of the Bible. Or, but I'm making spiritual progress on my own, one-on-one, with the Lord. And then there's the other foot, which is the community foot. And the community foot is, you know, the New Testament says so often, one another, one another, one another. You can't live the Christian life alone. 
you have to have healthy, warm relationships with God's people if you are going to make it. So the, the first foot will only take you so far. You've got to have both feet going if you're truly walking with the Lord. Ask yourself this, do you have goals with your personal spiritual life? Are you making progress? Are you truly seeking the Lord to draw near to Him? Uh, are you really on your own making progress? And then ask yourself this, are you truly interested in making fellowship a priority? I mean warm Christian fellowship. Is it a priority to you? Is it something you're after? You know, the world is like the Titanic. I mean, it's going down. It's sinking and you need to get off the ship. And salvation is like a life vest, right? You get off the ship and God gives you a life vest, but He also gives you a, a lifeboat, and that's the church. And sadly, so many followers of Christ, well, they got the vest, but they are not in the boat. And they are frozen in place because they do not have a warm church family around them to help them make progress. You need both walking with Christ in order for God to make His presence and His blessing known to you. Hey, how can I know God's presence? How can I know He's with me? How can I know that He's real in my life? Alright, I'll tell you one way that you can't know that He's present in your life. I read a headline this last week that said, Texas man finds Jesus on a breakfast taco. You want to see the picture? Check it out. See if you see it. Do you see it? Do you see it? Here's the way the article read. It was a typical morning for Ernesto Garza, who attends a La Amistad adult daycare in Beeville. He walked into the cafeteria to have his usual bacon and egg breakfast taco. The tortillas are all handmade on site. After poking around his food, he noticed a face staring back at him. He looked at it for five minutes in disbelief, and he said, It's Jesus. It wasn't long before everyone at the daycare heard about the Jesus tortilla. They said it's a blessing because it's unique. We believe God works in mysterious ways. Hey, listen, people sometimes want God to manifest Himself in their life, and they look for supernatural, spooky, spiritual. I mean, that's not how God makes His presence known. Don't check your food, okay? It's not going to be on your food. But if you truly do walk with the Lord day by day, He will bless you. And He will manifest His presence in your life. Well, how does that happen? How does it happen? Well, it happens in many ways. It happens when you're crying out to the Lord for something that only God could provide. And it comes through. And everyone around you says, God did that. It happens when there are circumstances that come together and you realize that only God could orchestrate them. And everyone around you says, God did that. It happens when you're going through a trial that you would never survive. But you make it through. And you tell everyone around you, God did that. It happens when you do something and you step back and you say, I didn't just do that. God did something through me that I could not have done on my own. It happens when you hear from God through a sermon or through a radio broadcast or through a friend when something is said and it cuts to your soul. And you say, God just said that. He knew I needed to hear that word of encouragement. He knew that I was slipping and I needed to be convicted. He knew that I was asking that question in my heart. How did he know? God said that. And you know that he's real in your life. God proves his presence as he blesses you. 
as you simply walk with Him by faith. I could tell you many stories, so many stories of what God has done in my life. I, I have stories about how I met my wife, how I entered ministry, how I paid for seminary, stories about how Harvest Payless even became possible, stories of where we got our office furniture, stories of how we were able to rent stags, stories of how Pastor Brandon came on staff. If I told you these stories after every one, you would say, God did that. God did that. And it's those who are walking by faith who have these stories. That's called God's blessing and His presence. Hey, the first lesson of faith is you must call upon the Lord to be saved. And the second one is you must walk with the Lord to be blessed. It was true of Enoch and it's true of you. And now the third lesson, this one takes a little bit to unpack, but jot this down. You must rise to the Lord to be glorified. You must rise to the Lord to be glorified. This one looks into the future of our faith. And let's look back into Scripture in verse 24, Genesis 5.24, to read what happened next to Enoch. It says in verse 24, Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. This is fascinating because if you read the genealogies in Genesis, it's like this person lived and then they died. This person lived, and then they died. This person lived, and then they died. Enoch lived, and then God took him. And then this person lived, and then they died. You're like, wait a minute, back up the tape. What do you mean God took him? And there weren't a whole lot of details given in the book of Genesis. But in the book of Hebrews, it clarifies it a little bit. It says in Hebrews 11.5, we'll put it up on the screen, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not, I love this, not, See death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Why? Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. By faith, Enoch reached the destination that his faith was leading him through life. The theological term is called glorification. You see, salvation is when you have saving faith and you are born again and Sanctification is when the Lord purifies you of sin on a daily basis and changes you. That's the walk with God. And then glorification is when the Lord takes you to His presence and perfects you. It happens in the future, and it will happen to every person of faith. What happened to Enoch will happen to you. You must rise to the Lord to be glorified. This foreshadows what every believer will experience. Just think of what life was like back in Genesis. Think about this. God told Adam and Eve, if you eat from the tree of which I told you not to eat, you will what? You will you'll die, right? But it didn't happen right away. He just separated them from the tree of life so that it, the process began. So death was this mystery. It was, a, it was a predator that was lurking in the darkness, but it had not even claimed a single victim yet. And then they got word that Abel had been murdered. It was the first funeral. Then it mentions this man Lamech who was sinful and he killed somebody. And then the world again was stunned at the sight of death. Adam is really the only, it's like the third death that was recorded in the Bible. And Enoch would have attended Adam's funeral. It happened when Enoch was born when Adam was 622 years old and 
And Adam died when Enoch was 308. What's it like to walk the earth for 308 years with the first man who was created and then to watch him die? And then to look and say to yourself, that's my destiny. That's my future. And, and just as humanity was waking up to the awful reality of their fate, God did something astonishing. It was 57 years after Adam's funeral, and God was looking down on this man named Enoch who was walking with him, and he took him up. And what did humanity learn? So much. We learned that though sin ruined the world and broke our relationship with God, he still looks upon us and we can still walk with him and he still wants us in his presence. We learned that even better than the earthly paradise, God would be willing to even... Where did Adam go? They didn't know. God said you would die. He didn't tell him anything about after. They didn't have the New Testament books of Revelation. or They didn't know. Where did he go? I don't know. And then God took Enoch alive, a living human could be welcomed into the awesome heavenly presence of God. Man learned that we can escape death. That death can be overcome. He's the first person to escape death. And there weren't many, New Testament and Old, there weren't many who escaped death. Who got out of death? Enoch was first and everyone was like, it's possible. And then what happened? Elijah brought somebody back from the dead, right? Okay, but that was kind of a wake-up call. Yeah, you got to come back from the dead, but guess what? You had to die again. So, <laughs> was that a blessing? Welcome back. <laughs> and then eventually we're going to have our, your second funeral. Um, Elisha brought somebody back from the dead too, but guess what? That person, same thing. Surprise! Uh, you got to die again. And then after Elisha was dead, there was this strange story of how they threw his body in this tomb and the person he hit came back to life. Now that guy woke up and he was really like, what just happened? Why is there a different dead guy in my tomb and why am I alive? And then it was, surprise, you're alive, but you have to die again. Elijah got caught up, never died. So there were really only two who just never died, right? Rare. The only way around death is somebody brings you back or you go up to the presence and then, and then what happened to the Lord Jesus? He utterly conquered death because not only was he brought back, but he also ascended up into the presence of the Lord. It was total domination over death. Not only that, but he also extends the free gift of eternal life to anyone who wants to spend forever in the presence of the Lord. Hey, you must rise to the Lord to be glorified. And what happened to Enoch has to happen to you. There has to come a point when the Lord looks down and says, it's your turn, up you come. Are you ready for that? All right, because Enoch was thinking he had another 600 years to go. He didn't even hit his midlife crisis yet, right? I mean, at 500, he would have bought a motorcycle. Not even there. God took him way before his time. And, uh, and are you ready now? Are you ready now? Would you go tonight? If he called you, would you go? You wouldn't really have a choice, but what did the Apostle Paul say in the book of Philippians? He said, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. And is that your heart? I asked my daughter Ellie at the dinner table. I, was, I like to float, float the sermon across the table and get their reaction sometimes, you know. And my daughter Ellie's 10, and they give me good feedback. But I said, hey, kids, here's the story of Enoch. And God just took him up and 
And I said, are you guys ready to go to heaven if God wants to take you now? And my daughter Ellie says, yes, wait a minute, after Halloween. (laughs) She caught herself. Good thing, too, because all that candy, I mean, you know. Isn't that our heart, too, though? Oh, yeah, I'm ready. Really? Now? Well, I mean, I've got to finish school and I'd like to get married and, you know, child. And I mean, are you really ready right now if the Lord called you up to go? And maybe even more convicting is, what about those loved ones who are in your life who God could call at any moment? You see, Enoch was ready and he was trying to get all of those around him ready. It's a pillar at Harvest. We believe in evangelism, sharing the good news of Jesus with boldness because we believe that it's only if you hear the good news of Jesus and respond by faith that you can be saved. You have to hear it, you have to respond by faith, or you can't be saved. We believe that, and so we share it with people. Jesus was the only one who ever lived who promised eternal life could be given at his hand, and he proved it by rising from the grave and then going to the right hand of the Father. Where do you go if you die today? Well, you know, Jesus said to the thief on the cross, what? Today you will be with me in paradise. So it's an instant trip to paradise for the believer, but then there's an upgrade in the future when Jesus says that there's coming a time when everyone in their graves will hear the voice of the Son of Man, that's Jesus, and come out, and then we will meet Him in the air to be with Him forever. That's called the resurrection and Being in paradise is good enough and then you get an upgrade and there's this spiritual body you get that never grows sick or dies or grows old and is capable of dwelling in the glorious presence of the Lord forever. It's called glorification and it's the future tense of our salvation. And because Enoch walked with God, he never saw death. This is true for you. If by faith you walk with God, you will never see death. Jesus said in John 8.51 this, Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Wow. Christians don't die. We blink. And then our faith becomes sight. It's the promise of the Lord. And the time is coming when the Lord calls your name. And the question is, are you ready? Hey, are you ready? Are you looking ahead to the next life? Do you have confidence that God will receive you into his heavenly presence just as he received Enoch? So many are living to simply get the most out of this life and they will be sorely disappointed when the next life rolls around. They will be shocked. They will be utterly dismayed. Are you storing everything up in this life or where's your treasure in heaven? I read a story of a man earlier this week. It's a true story again. He died. He didn't really have many close relatives. So when officials had to go into his house to clean it out, they found $7 million worth of gold. Gold bars, gold jewelry. He hoarded gold. And nobody knew it. He lived in a 1970s-style small, unassuming house that had the original orange shag carpeting. And the officials had to use a wheelbarrow to take the gold, a, a wheelbarrow to take the gold out of his house. He couldn't take an ounce with him. 
some relative who hadn't talked to him in forever. She was a substitute teacher at a California public school. Got a phone call. Oh, by the way, you know, your first cousin, he died and, and you just inherited $7 million worth of gold. Will you come pick it up? <gasps> but he doesn't have an ounce of it now. And listen, the day's coming when you will cross over into the next life and this world is nothing more than preparation for eternity. The question you have to answer is, are you prepared? The Bible gives you a guide how you can know that you are and the only, only thing that will please the Lord and welcome you into His presence is faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. I want to give you a chance to respond to this message. Listen, the judgment of the Lord is coming and Enoch warned his generation that the flood was coming and we, the church, are to warn this generation that God will end this world by fire. The judgment is coming sooner than you think. Hey, next week we're going to talk about Noah. It's going to be one of the most disturbing and hard-to-hear messages you have ever listened to. A global flood that kills every person alive. That's the wrath of God. It proves that judgment will come again. You will stand before the Lord and account for this life. It's only by faith in the Lord Jesus that He will welcome you into His heavenly presence. Hey, let me give you a chance to respond to that message right now as we bow and pray. Father in heaven, we believe Your Word is true and thank You that the story of Enoch shows us exactly how we can find favor in Your sight. It's only by faith and it's always been by faith. So I think of those this morning who are uncertain about their future. They don't know that they're going to heaven. They haven't been walking with you. They're not even sure if they're saved. Father, to those people in particular, I make an appeal. The wrath of God is coming and the time to escape judgment is now. Lord, I want them to know what sweet fellowship with you in this life is like and the joy of seeing you manifest your presence in countless ways. Father, some are ready right here and now by faith to call out to the Lord as Savior. And I want to lead them in a prayer. And they can pray along in their heart like this. Heavenly Father, I agree with your word that I am far from you. But I draw near right now. I call out to you by faith. I confess that I've sinned. I believe Jesus died on the cross to take away my sins and that he rose again on the third day. Here and now, give me confidence that I will be called into your heavenly presence only because of the Lord Jesus and his work on the cross. Come into my life. Give me hope. Teach me to walk with you. And in the end, glorify me in your presence. Father, to those who prayed that this morning, fill them with joy. Never will you leave them. Never will you forsake them. And help them to begin their walk with you through this life. We pray all of this in Jesus' name.